Good morning. Well, as many of you know, if you've been here uh, throughout the fall, we've uh, just come out of a series. Uh, the groups last uh, wrapped up last week, a series called God's at War. We've been preaching through that on Sunday mornings. And really, the, the concept of God's at War is this recognition that we have idols in our life. And when most of us think of idols, we think of, you know, some, you know, totem pole or some, you know, carved image as we hear about in the Old Testament. But the reality is, and what this series did is it kind of exposed idols that we have in our lives. While we don't have, you know, little statues or anything necessarily in our home, it doesn't mean that we don't have idols. Idols, idols are those things that we're putting our hope in. Idols are those things that we are turning to and looking for some level of satisfaction or salvation or enjoyment that displaces what God's role would be. And as we were transitioning out of that last week, and uh, uh, Steve, Steve uh, looked at Genesis chapter 11. And in Genesis chapter 11, we see the story of the, this tower of Babel that's being built. And I'm gonna, we're just going to revisit a part of this, this passage this morning. So I'm going to read from Genesis chapter 11, beginning verse 3. So then these people, they came together. And they said to each other, come, let's make bricks and bake them thoroughly. And they used brick instead of stone and tar instead of mortar. Then they said, come, let us build ourselves a city with a tower that reaches the heavens so that we may make a name for ourselves and not be scattered over the face of the whole earth. So the people gathered together and they made their own bricks and they started to build this tower and they said, now. Let's do this so that we can make a name for ourselves and we won't continue to be scattered over all of the earth. Right. And then what happens next is then the Lord came down to see this city and the tower that they'd built. And he said, if it's one people speaking the same language, they can do this. Then nothing is impossible for them. So let's confuse their language. And where Steve was was going with this last week is that he and I sat down and looked at this this two week kind of transition between gods of war and and Christmas, and we see this this continuing pattern happening over and over and over in so many of the stories in in Scripture that God displaces in order to replace. That God displaces in order to replace, and that you know, out of sheer ignorance, let's just give them the benefit of the doubt. That out of sheer ignorance, maybe they did not realize that what they were doing was displacing God in their lives. Even by how they were going to build and the things that they were going to use to build by. They didn't build with stones. They built with bricks that they made with their own hands. They had a plan to what looked like to them to be a very prosperous thing. You know, we're tired of traveling. We're tired of bouncing from here and there. So let's make a city for ourselves and let's do for ourselves what we think we can do. The very things that we desire. And God looks down and says, this is not good. So he displaces them by confusing their language where they could no longer communicate and the tower stops being built. Are you aware of anything that God may desire to displace in your life? Because it is not fully fixed on his best intention for who you are and what he has in store for you. It's probably happened several times in your life, just as it happens over and over and over in the Bible. I mean, we even go back to Genesis 3 and we see where Adam and Eve were in the garden and they chose to eat of the forbidden fruit. And so what happens next? He has to displace them 
out of the garden. But in every action that God does to displace, he always has a plan to replace. What was displaced with something better? So even Adam and Eve being displaced from the garden, God had a plan to replace something better in our lives. Something that he intends for us and hopes hopes the best in us. You see, that's what the reality is with idols in our life, is that God looks down on this tower, this idol, this thing that we are doing ourselves that we see value in or that we're putting hope in because it's very rational. It makes complete sense and it answers a lot of the questions. So, well, then sure, this seems right. This must be what we need to do. So let's do this ourselves. And God looks at that and says, those idols I have to displace. I want to displace because I created you to have your hope be in me and in me alone. You see, our God is a jealous God. Exodus chapter chapter 43, verse 14 is just one of the areas, one of the places that we see this being spoken in Scripture. Do not worship any other God for your for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Now, you may think for a moment, okay, well, I I thought we weren't supposed to be jealous, so. If we're not supposed to be jealous, how is it okay for God to be jealous and even for one of his names to be called jealous? Well, you see, the reality is we're not God. And for when we are jealous, it doesn't mean that our jealousy is a good thing. The thing that we may be jealous for may not be a good thing. Can we have can be can we be jealous for good things? We'll get to that in a minute. But the reality is what we may be jealous for may very well be an idol may very well be something that works against us. But the reality is that the Lord is a jealous God. So let's unpack what that jealousy means. As I was driving down the road the other day, I'll just this just kind of hit me that. My kind of comprehension of jealousy is that jealousy is when somebody else has something that I want, when somebody else is in the position that I want to be in, when somebody else is in the relationship that I want to be in. Anybody ever been jealous over something? I had to, I was thinking back on this on this this term this week and and I started to remember this story. It was I was 17 years old. I was dating this girl. Right. And we've been dating for for a few months. And, uh, you know, I like the girl. She's a, a, a cool gal. We hung out a lot. We were dating for, like I said, three or four months. And then this other guy started kind of hanging around. And I was like, what the what in, what in the world? Is going on, you know, and I would like drive up to her house and, you know, this guy'd be like, hey, uh, he'd, he'd leave. Right. And I'd be like, after like a week of this, I was like, who who is this guy? What in the world is going on? And she's like, oh, we're just we're just good friends. Right. And I'm like, well, no, I'm not. That's not all right. You know, I was like, we're dating. And here's this other guy always hanging around. I was like, I was jealous. For. This relationship, I was jealous for this place that this guy was, you know, creeping in on my territory. You with me? This was not well with me all week long. And when I'm I'm starting to now think more instead of thinking about this girl, I'm thinking about this guy. Right. And you know what a teenage guy wants to do with another teenage guy who's creeping in on his territory. He's ready for some displacement to take place. You know, some displacement of some teeth, some rearranging of a nose. There's going to be some displacement happen, especially that the fact that I was a lot bigger than this little guy was. Right. So but instead of displacing some teeth, I, 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 I pull her aside and I was like, OK, we need to have a talk. Right. And 
And we have this talk and she's like, well, we're just friends. And I, you know, I don't remember if the love word was used or not, but I, you know, love you and I want to stay in this relationship. And I was like, no, we're not having any of this. Right. But all week long, as I thought about this guy, my heart was jealous. And if you've ever had a jealous heart toward loving somebody, then you know what that feeling feels like. It makes you feel sick. You feel disgusted. You feel like you feel like you want to vomit. A jealous heart is not a very inviting, pleasant thing. But the reality is the Lord so loves his people. That out of his goodness of who he is, he is jealous for us. For anything that could stand in the place of the relationship that he wants to have with us. Anything that could stand in the place in our hearts for the place that he wants our hearts to focus on. You see, he created us and he created us to be in a relationship with him. His plan from day one is to be with us, his creation, his being. He wants to be in relationship with us. And ever since Genesis 3, when the fall took place and Adam and Eve sinned, a level of displacement happened. But see, the Lord's plan in displacement is to replace with what is right. And so the Lord has been working ever since to replace that relationship that he originally created us to have with him because his heart is jealous over us. And his jealousy is a pure jealousy. His jealousy is that because he is God and there is nothing greater, there's nothing more pure, there's nothing more holy, there's nothing more right than for our hearts to be fully fixed on him and on nothing else. Anything other in our hearts that would be that our hearts would fix on is bad for us. And because he loves us, he wants the best for us. And because he wants the best for us, his heart is jealous for our hearts when anything, when our heart turns to anything other than him. So because he is so in love and so passionate about you and me and our hearts to be fixed on him, he is jealous for any area of our heart that turns and looks to another lover. And so out of his very nature, he displaces or invites us to join him in displacing those things that have distracted our hearts. You see, for God to be jealous is not a bad thing. For God to be jealous is good news. For God to be jealous is the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that he was so jealous for our heart that he came and paid whatever price was necessary to rid our lives of sin, that we can once again be able to commune and have that relationship with us that he created us to have. Steve talked about being serious last week. He said God is serious over these idols. He is serious over these things in our life that are not aligned with his heart. So my question to you this morning, as we looked at displace last week, we're looking at replace this week. My question for you is, how serious are you about having things displaced? In order that God can replace with himself. Because really that measures. That measures a lot for God. You see God doesn't doesn't judge the way we judge. He doesn't judge by appearance. He doesn't judge by attendance. He doesn't judge by even specific actions. He judges. He judges by motivations. You see he knows the motivations of our heart. 
even more than we know the motivations of our own heart. Proverbs teaches that we can fool ourselves, but the Lord knows what your heart is motivated by. And the Lord invites your heart to be motivated to live for him and to pursue him and to desire what he wants for each of our lives. And he lives before us as a jealous God, always in pursuit and proving and showing to us that he will do anything out of his love that motivates him. He will do anything to displace things that would hold us away from him. That would displace things that would keep us from the life of abundance that Jesus said I came to bring. You see, we have to understand who God is if we're going to be able to live our life pursuing a direction of who God is. If I asked, you know, if we went around the room and I just asked, you know, kind of give me your picture of who God is. Interestingly enough, a lot of us would have a different picture. A lot of us have have wounds or, you know, a relationship with a father that has cast an image of God on our minds that is less than who God truly is. But the reality is when we understand and grow to the reality of who God is, that he is ever loving, that God cannot and will not do anything that is not loving on your behalf, that is not loving on my behalf, that is not loving us, that his very intention is to love and to nurture and to care for us. Even in things that are dis, that are that are completely uncomfortable, the moments of displacement of idols or the exposure exposure of a sin, right? Those most uncomfortable moments are loving actions. Even moments of judgment are loving actions because the reality is God's ways are not our ways. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are are greater than our thoughts. And just because we don't understand His judgments, or just because we don't understand His displacement doesn't mean that God's action is not fully a loving action. Because every action that the Lord takes is an action motivated by love. Because if it was a motive other than to love, it would defy who he is, his very nature. Because God is loving and he does not change. And he is ever present before us. Moving and wooing and acting on our behalf to love us and to have us experience the life in him that he intends for for us to have. So there's a there's an issue here. There are things in every one of our lives. As we went through this study, we all developed and understood, began to understand an idol. One of the realities is, is that we have to understand what the kingdom of God is if we're going to live a life in pursuit of and the fullness of what Jesus came to bring. So what is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is where God's I've got it printed up here. The kingdom of God is the range of God's effective will. It's where what God wants done is done. The kingdom of God is where what God wants to have something to happen. That's what happens. Kingdom of God is where what God wants done is what is done. Now, see, we have a we have an issue here because we have a a, a kingdom of God. And when I think of kingdom, you know, when I hear the word kingdom, I'm always, you know, drawn back to this medieval time, big castle. Right. And the reign of this king over this area is when the king says this is what's going to take place. Well, then that's what's going to take places. Right. 
And so all the people, all the vassals in that kingdom, you know, this is what the king ordered. This is what's going to happen, right? This is true for our life where the kingdom of God is where what God wants to have happen is what takes place. But we have a problem here because most human thinking revolves around what we think we want and what we want to have take place, take place. Am I guilty of that? That that, you know, if we really stop and and judge our thinking, how much of your thinking evolves around what you think you want to take place. Needs to take place. It's a pretty scary reality if you if you realize it. Because we live and we think mostly about what we want to have happen and then we act based on what we want to have happen because we become lords of our own kingdom. So here's the problem is that now there's two kingdoms, not just one. And so if there's two kingdoms, but God's desire is for his kingdom to come. And Jesus prayer is that he invites us and teaches us how to pray is your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So your plans, what you want done on earth would be done just like it is in heaven. Now, how many of you realize that we're this the planet we're living in, the times that we're living in, the kingdom has a lot more coming to to do you with me? There's a lot more coming of the kingdom that we need to see because this is not what it probably looks like in heaven. But let me ask for you and your kingdom, an area that you have role and responsibility. How much of your kingdom really confidently, you know, is fully aligned with what God would want? Your thoughts and your actions and your heart to be focused on. So if you recognize that if the kingdom of God is what God wants to take place is taking place, then we recognize there's a change that needs to take place. And we and we get into this word that has been a confusing word for me most of my Christian life. You see, I grew up in the church. My parents drug me to church, you know, as a kid, and I didn't like church in, in, in one little season, you know, of my life necessarily. But I, I remember like being told I had to go anyway. And and it was amazing to me that I grew up in the church and I could, you know, you know, recite the, the books of the Bible and had memorized all these Bible verses by going to, you know, children's Sunday school and all this stuff. But it wasn't until I was 23 years old that like the light bulb went off for me. It was a turning point for my life. I was a senior in college and and I really just kind of hit rock bottom. And I got involved in this campus ministry that Steve and I where Steve and I met. And suddenly I had this kind of revelation around this word that changed my life. You see, up until that that moment, till I, when I was 23 years old, I thought that repentance meant that when you sin, you come before God and you ask forgiveness. That's what I thought repentance meant. And when I was 23, I realized that's not what repentance meant. What I came to understand repentance meant in that moment was, and you go and sin no more. Right? That you do a 180 and you go, you don't sin anymore. Right? And that was like revela- that was like a revelation for me. I'm like, how have I grown up in the church all my life and never fully understood 
that repentance wasn't about saying, forgive me, Father, for I've sinned and then I'm forgiven. And then that's, you know, it's like a confession, like in the in the Catholic Church, you know, once you just kind of pray this prayer, well, that's done. And that's what repenting up. I don't know where that came from, but that was my vision of repentance. That he was really saying, no, go and sin no more, go and do a 180. Right. And that's what I understood repentance was from 23 till recently. But the reality is, if you look at the word repentance, the word in the Greek is metanoe. Metanoe. And, and this is fascinating to me. It doesn't mean go and sin no more. You see, my understanding of repentance that I understood when I turned 23 was was the story like the story of the woman, you know, caught in prostitution that was drug out. And, you know, they all the elders kind of gather stones and they're about to stone her, but they brought her for Jesus. And he starts drawing in the sand. Y'all remember this story? You know, he starts drawing in the sand and and then, you know, he said, let the first person with no sin cast the first stone. Right. And, you know, they start dropping the rocks and everybody leaves. And Jesus says, OK, well, you know. Well, then I forgive you too. go and sin no more. Right. But repentance isn't in that passage. That was just my understanding of what repentance was. But that's not what repentance is. That's a fruit of repentance. You see, the term metanoe means change your thinking. That's literally what the word means. In the Greek, we see it one time in Matthew chapter. I'm going to trip over that four times. Matthew chapter three. I believe it's verse two. Do we have that passage? And and this is John saying, repent for the kingdom of heaven is here is near. John is not saying go do a 180, quit sinning because the kingdom of God is near. He's saying Change the way you think in everything because the kingdom of God is near. Now, it just so happens that the fruit of repentance is that you're probably going to do a 180 from the things that are not in alignment with God and not do those things anymore. But change your thinking. Change your thinking. So what does repentance mean for you and me if the command is to repent for the kingdom of God is near? Change your thinking for what God, for the kingdom of God, where what God wants to have happen is going to happen. What does change your thinking in your life mean if God is saying repent, change your thinking, because what I want to have happen is what I want to have happen in your life? Change your thinking because living in accordance with what you want or me living in accordance with what I want and being a Lord in my own kingdom is not in alignment with what how I should be thinking and therefore how I would be living if I lived in accordance with what does God want. So if we're going to step into the reality of God displacing us willfully out of the throne seat of our own kingdom and choosing to become a person under his lordship where he is king over everything, then we have to begin living a life engaging with God in what does God want? Not what do I want? 
So in idle terms, what we got to two weeks ago was the reality is this is where king self gets dethroned. Because self really is the thing that fights against and guards against the oncoming kingdom of heaven being a reality in my life. So we willfully, we have a responsibility and a reality to willfully give over this kingdom of self. And turn this kingdom of self from asking the question, God, what do I want? To saying, God, what do you want? Now, how do we do that? Because this is important. God is ever active in our life and in your life to displace the kingdom of what do I want and replace it with the kingdom of what God wants. So we're going to look at a passage this morning, 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. Peter, in his closing of this, uh, this second book, says, but grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is a command to you and me, to followers of Jesus Christ. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So what does grow in grace look like or sound like? You know, you could ask some church people and you might hear definitions of grace to be unmerited favor of God's God has given to us. You might hear something like it's it's God giving us what we don't deserve. Um, it's receiving what we could have had, could have earned, but instead it's been given to us as a gift. But let me ask you, how do you apply into that? How do you apply? How do you grow in if grace is God giving us something we don't deserve, right? How do you grow in receiving a gift? I mean, do you just be like a little child around Christmas? Say, I want this, 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 right? There must be something more to grace than simply coming before God and asking. And what the reality is, is that grace is the interactive presence of God in my life. Grace. It's the interactive presence of God in my life. God acting in my life is grace. And by grace, he displaces because his heart is loving. By grace, he enables and empowers and bestows his spirit on us. We don't deserve it. By grace, our sins are forgiven that we can have a right relationship with him. By grace, he desires to interact with us, not because we deserve it, because his heart is for us. And therefore, he bestows grace upon us and therefore he interacts with us in life. So if we're going to grow in the if we're going to grow and we're commanded to grow in grace, then we need to grow in understanding and grow our efforts to interact with God in our life. Does that make sense? This unmerited favor, how do you grow in that? How do you, you know, answer the question of how to that part, that definition of grace? But we're commanded to grow in it, so there has to be a grow effort. Can you grow in desiring to have to recognize and interact with God in your life? Now there's the ability to participate in what the scripture is putting before us. 
There's the ability to say, okay, I can do that. How do you go about doing that? Well, you become ever more mindful, ever more thinking, right? Repenting, change your thinking, ever more thinking about how do I grow? How do I interact with the Lord? Because my way of thinking has not necessarily been leading me to that. My way of thinking left to myself has been guarding my own kingdom. And what do I want is the question always being asked in my mind. But learning to grow in the grace of God means to interact with God and to have his interaction be a reality in our life that we begin asking a different question. God, what do you want? And as you begin to recognize you have a responsibility and an opportunity to grow in grace by turning to the God and engaging him in interactive relationship. Then the next question is, well, how do we grow in knowledge? And the very thing that he invites us to grow in knowledge is, is the reality of what he wants that is different than what I want. That's the growing in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. We're growing in the knowledge of what his his kingdom coming looks like in our hearts, in our lives through this open door of our minds. That have repented from just thinking the way we usually think. Paul in Romans chapter eight says. Do not conform any longer to the to the. Thinking the ways of this world instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Right. That's that is built on the platform of repentance. Change your thinking. Do not conform any long to the pattern of this world. Instead, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. You need to be transformed. We need to be transformed from where our kingdom is taking place to have God replace This displaced kingdom with his kingdom where we're literally being transformed. Everything that we touch, everything that we're about through the through the process of our engaging God and interacting with him and him bringing a knowledge of what his kingdom is and what he wants different in this life that we live. Where what he wants done becomes done. We get to engage and to see the kingdom of God take place here and now any moment that you choose it. Repent. The kingdom of God is near. And this is good news for you and for me. Repent. Change your thinking from sitting on the throne of what I want. And begin engaging with God in grace and growing in the knowledge of what does God want. We have to dive into his truths. We have to study his scripture. We have to spend time in prayer. We need to spend time in community. We need to spend time giving ourselves and and focusing our minds on God, not what necessarily we want. And by doing so, we are choosing to take steps toward having the kingdom of God come here on earth as it would be in heaven. You see, the, the kingdom of heaven, Jesus never intended for the kingdom of heaven to be an eternal place That was solely set apart for you. That is a part of what Jesus intended in coming. Jesus said, I came that you might have life and have it to the full now that my kingdom come on earth. Well, why would Jesus pray? Let my kingdom come on earth as it would be in heaven. If the only place he had for his for his kingdom to be real was in heaven. You see, Jesus wants his kingdom fresh and real and a reality by you choosing and bringing your will to the table and laying your life as a sacrifice before him by repenting and renewing your mind to say, teach me how to think because I have lived my life 
displacing myself from the best of who you are. And you love me and your heart is jealous for me. So come and have your way. I want to live in your kingdom. And I want to know what you have in store for my life and every decision I take and every relationship I'm a part of. Come and let your kingdom happen right here on this earth for me in this moment on this stage and for Jim right there in that chair. Because your heart is saying, I want to learn how to love because you're all about love. So, Lord, I want to love you and I want what you want to take. Take place, take place now and live in that reality. You can live in that reality. Now, that may scare you. But the reality is this change that God wants to have take place in every one of us should not produce a guilt. You've heard me say this before. It should not produce a guilt and how much we failed in the past. This is the good news about the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It takes whatever is past and puts it in the in the far out past forgotten about. The kingdom of God is in the moment. The kingdom of God is not in this graduation place of where we can be. The kingdom of God is in the moment you're living in. And when you begin to engage the kingdom of God in the moment that you're living in, each moment that you live, you're going to see amazing, miraculous things take place. You're going to see signs and wonders. And one of the first signs and wonders you're going to see is that you're going to see that, man, my, my mind is is Thinking things I've never been thinking before. I'm starting to have understanding and revelation when I pick up God's word of how much he loves me and what his thoughts are me are. He's even given me direction of, of how do I address this question before me? Because his spirit was been has been given to us by Jesus to live with us and to come alive within us. To lead and to guide and to counsel and direct that the self that sat on the throne in what I want kingdom has been replaced with the spirit, the very same spirit that lived in Jesus Christ and ordered and directed his life to say, I am nothing. I simply do what I see the father doing and say what I hear the father saying. I can do nothing on my own. I simply live to obey the will of my father. So if we're called to be Christians, little Christs, then shouldn't that be the very same means by which we choose to live the life that he's given us? You see, he's serious about displacing things that steal, kill and destroy life from us. And replacing those things with himself. This series on idols, I think, was very, you know, raised a lot of people's awareness of, wow, I didn't even realize that I had idols in my life. But God's plan in leading us through this series on idols is not that we simply come to an awareness of idols. Is that those idols are replaced with the goodness of who God is. And the first step in that replacement is repenting from how we have been thinking about those idols and have our hearts turn to think and be fixed and our hope be fully on Him and on nothing less. He's jealous for us. 
A.W. Tozer said the most important thing about who you are is what you think about God. And whatever you think about God that sounds anything different than the God who fully loves you and is so passionate for you, he would do anything to displace the evil that has hidden your heart from being in a full relationship with him. And just look at that love that he has and not just be in awe of how good he is. Anything in your mind that can't see that God, God in his loving nature, very gently is going to come alongside by his spirit and put his finger on to displace because he wants you to grow in the knowledge of who he is. So how do we grow in the knowledge of who he is? Well, we start to put into practice the very things that Jesus taught. Jesus said crazy things like, you know. Forgive the guy who hates you. Forgive your enemy. You know, guy asked you to walk a mile, walk too. Things that are not about you being in charge of you or what you want are the very things that Jesus says. I have a different plan. And even in these different plans of your actions of how you live in my teachings and live out my teachings, it's always going to confront the little God in me. To expel the, the God of self. Not just to expel it or expose it, but because he wants to replace it with himself in the knowledge of who he is. So we grow in the knowledge by growing in the understanding of who he is and understanding of the very things that he invites us to do that replace the things or the ways or the judgments or the thoughts that we've been having as we look at and interact with people. And we live a life engaging with the spirit of God that is literally alive and real within us, because that has been God's plan again from day one. God with us. And we define ourselves as Christians because we have this fact that we are going to enter into the kingdom of God. But our challenge today is to is to live ever more mindful that the kingdom of God can be here now, not just some far off place in heaven. And it comes by our choosing to repent from the way we have been thinking and begin thinking in a new way. And when we begin thinking in a new way and engaging with the spirit of God who is alive within us and and speaks through thoughts in our heads, placing thoughts that weren't our thoughts to be new thoughts in our head and engaging with him in discipline and, and action to read his word and to study and to pray and to form a loving community that encourage and builds each other up as each one of us do our part, then we are going to grow in the knowledge of the fullness of Christ. Because that's what his truth says. And that's good news for you and for me. So the reality is who we are as a church and a part of what we're about is we're here to encourage each other to grow. We're here to serve each other. We're here to love each other. Because God had a plan when he created you and when he created me. And if we each had to look at ourselves, we'd say, you know what, I've probably kind of become somebody a little bit different than what he intended when he was putting me together in my mother's womb. So let me pray that prayer, Father. Let your kingdom come in me as it is in heaven. Or how you would 
have me be in heaven and lead me through the process of what it means to really repent. And that means change the way I've been thinking and gain the perspective and the new of replacing my spirit of self with the spirit of you. You see, the reality is, is that we have this. I put some letters together. We have this reality of what I want. And then what God wants, going to the procession of where those are all pigtailed together. What I want becomes, and we look at what God wants, and then we make a choice to say what I am going to choose. When we make a choice to not let our emotions and our way of thinking dictate what our actions are going to be. You know, well, the reason we don't do things is because, well, it's not what we want to do. Did you know that? The reason you don't read your Bible every day is because you don't want to read your Bible every day. Right. But when we begin to live a life and repentance is not a negative word. Repentance is this vision of change of how we can see the kingdom of God come alive in my life. When we recognize that and we begin to embrace living, not what I want, but what God wants. And we choose begin what I choose to do rather than what I want to do. Right. Then maturity is taking place. Think about the most mature Christian, you know, the only difference in them and where you may be, if you see a gap between where they may be and yourself, is that they've made choices. That you've yet to make. And changing their thinking and growing toward God. And that. Has moved them toward maturity. Because they become responsible. For what their will is going to participate in. And what their mind is going to engage in. So when what I want. Looks to see what God wants. And then moves to the place of what I choose. Rather than what I want. Then we get to live in this life of what we want with God. Because the very things that he wants. Become the things that we want. And that is a beautiful, abundant life that Jesus said you can have. And that I can know. Because now there's not a conflict between what I want and what God wants. We're living in a communal relationship thing, which is what he wanted from the very beginning. That says, now we're living in the fullness of what we want. And this is God's plan for you and for me. You see, our God is a good God and he loves you and his heart is passionate for you. And I'm just telling you, he won't spare anything on heaven or on earth. If he'll send his son to die to displace this God of self in our life and to be able to have us enter into a relationship fully with him again, where we can say we when we talk about the relationship between us and our father, then he won't spare anything on heaven and earth to displace the things That are stealing life from you and me because he loves us and wants our hearts to be fixed on nothing but what is good. And that is only him. Let's pray. Father, I ask right now and repeat of the prayer that Jesus, that you taught your disciples. I ask right now that you would come and let your kingdom up there.
come down here in the hearts and the minds of the people in this room. The kingdom of God is at hand. It is not some far off place. It is literally in the way in which we can participate in it is literally within a decision that we make to choose now to live in the kingdom, to replace the idol of self with you. Thank you, Father, that all of who you are, as you lovingly woo us to yourself, creates this vision of change. And so right now, Lord, I just ask that you just begin to, there may be a multitude of things, but you're not in a hurry. I just begin to ask that you just place uh, the first thing that you want to displace in the way that somebody's been thinking in the unforgiveness that somebody's been holding on to, in the hesitation to, to reach out or respond in love. Whatever it is, Lord, that, it is, that you first want to speak in each one of our hearts and minds, I pray that you just bring that to the service. Holy Spirit, we just give you, invite you to come and make us aware and counsel us. Show us how you want to replace your desires with the way we've been living. Father, I just ask right now that you just pour out a, a fresh life over this place. In Christianese term, Lord, we would call that anointing, Lord, to lead people to the life that you created them to live. So, Father, rec- help us recognize we have a responsibility. We have a responsibility to bring our will to the table and say, I surrender. I surrender all the ways I've been thinking. I surrender all the the patterns of thought, Lord. It just seems overwhelming at times. But step by step, you interact and engage with us. Because that's your plan. And you're not in a hurry. So, Father, come. Bear your fruit in our lives. And let us taste and see. Let, us, let our minds be transformed to the reality and the knowledge of your goodness, your grace, and the love that you have for your people. Lead us, Father, to this abundant life of the fullness of you. In Jesus' name, we just say, so be it and may it be so. Amen. Harvest.